Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. This week, Andy McCarroll takes the reins as himself, Chris Wasser and Olivia Fahey review Thor, Love and Thunder. Plus, we'll have a review for Minions, The Rise of Gru. Your weekly film fix is next. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. You are listening to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. This week, Andy, Olivia and Chris checked out the big release in cinemas, Thor, Love and Thunder. Can director Taika Waititi build on his enjoyable Thor Ragnarok or is it the difficult second album syndrome for Waititi? Let's find out. You are very welcome to We Love Movies with me, Andy McCarroll. Joining me now to go through the latest in news and reviews is movie critic Chris Wasser and Olivia Fahey, the editor of Geek Ireland. We're going to start with the latest installment in the MCU, Thor, Love and Thunder. Before we begin, here's a clip from the film. Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dad bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. A clip there from Thor, Love and Thunder. Chris, this is the fourth Thor, Thor 4, the fourth Thor. So before we begin, tell us <laughs> what the story is. Uh, I'll do my best to keep this as straightforward as possible. But we have a hastily sketched prologue that introduces the film's uh, uh, antagonist. Uh, and, you know, as people would have, you know, know, as people will probably know by now, it's Christian Bale. He's under a mountain of body paint and he is, in fact, playing Gore the God Butcher. Now, Gore's story is that, you know, bless his heart, he kind of loses the plot after the death of his child. He's this bitter extraterrestrial wrongdoer. He's been, you know, kind of worshipping. He's devoted his entire life to, to worshipping the gods. And when they let him down and when he meets them he realizes oh they're a selfish bunch and he kills his first god and he says you know look you my my, my child has died my my there, there's nobody left that i love i'm going to devote my life now to getting rid of the gods so you can probably see where this is going chris touched upon it there olivia uh christian bale for me one of the big draws of this is seeing him back in a superhero film which i thought we'd never see what's he like as gore the god butcher oh he is as menacing and maniacal as Gore needs to be, because at the end of the day, he is one of the most iconic, I think, villains in the Thor universe. And seeing him being played by Christian Bale is just such a moment. And there have been some people who were making comparisons to Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker, which I actually think is slightly unfair because it is very different. He plays like the light and the dark of the character so well. And then because of his, so the sword that Gore uses to strike down the gods is called a necro sword. Comic uh, iteration is that it comes from a symbiote, which of course we know from Venom. Um, and basically it's poisoning Gore the longer that he wields it. So eventually, you know, they're saying that he has like all of these powers, but it's only while he has the sword. They do go into a bit more of the symbiote sort of side of things, but of course, uh, because Marvel doesn't technically own the word yet, uh, even though there was that little drop of uh, venom that was left behind during um, 
Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock's brief visit to the MCU, um, but they can't really go into any of that. So in this iteration, it is slightly different. He is just nearly, he's brilliant in nearly everything I've ever seen him in. So we all knew that he was going to be a scene stealer in this. And he was like, you can't take your eyes off him. And that's not just because he's this like gray figure in amongst all of these like bursts of color. He is just, he's just got that presence about him. And that's exactly what Gore needed. You needed to be fearful of him. And he is creepy as hell. I'm very grateful when you said there, the symbiote and has no ties to Venom. The, the most we keep Sony away from these films, the better. Mm-hmm. Chris, Taika Watiti, he's back. He done Thor Ragnarok for me. One of the best uh, installments in the MCU. He's also in his Korg. A huge shift from the Thor movies. You had that very classic Shakespearean that Kenneth Branagh brought. You had that kind of up and down mess that Alan Turner had with uh, Thor The Dark World. Yeah. Where does this sit? Does this sit? Is it pretty much a Ragnarok rethread or has he tried to do something different here? Yeah, it's a little bit like Ragnarok remixed. Uh, and you can practically hear the cogs creaking and squeaking as Watiti almost strains himself to craft a zippier film than, than Ragnarok. Does he succeed? Not always, but I do appreciate the effort. I mean, everybody here is working their backsides off to try and repeat the magic that we saw at play in Ragnarok. And maybe that that's the problem. Maybe the problem is that they're trying too hard. There is so much. I just, I covered the basic outline of the plot here, but then there's the actual follow through, which is just, it's like a rainbow colored uh, playground up there. And, you know, everyone is here for the right reasons. You can tell that people are enjoying themselves, but it's that kind of trick again, where, you know, and I, and I, I like this film a lot, but sometimes I thought, the guys up there are enjoying themselves a little bit too much. One of the things that doesn't work is the, is the, is the drama. And, 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 and I say that because at the center of this, you have a cancer storyline. You have a story about a woman who is dying and is putting her faith, her faith in something she has no idea about, you know, rather than putting her faith in modern medicine. And how the film deals with that, it's a little bit wobbly because you spend the whole time just, you know, going gag, gag, punchline, visual gag, gag, gag. It's not taking itself seriously. And then all of a sudden it wants you to take it seriously. And and I was a little bit like, mm, I'm not too sure, lads. It's a little bit late for that. But at the same time, I, I did get on very well with this. It's never boring. It looks incredible. Uh, I thought Natalie Portman was just incandescent here. She is just fabulous as the mighty Thor. And she is really getting, you know, she's getting something to do for a change, which she, you know, she, she was kind of, she was kind of just put in the center of those first two Thor films with nothing to do. I was going to say that to you, Olivia, Natalie Portman, who, basically was no more than a screaming goat, basically in the last two films here, her role is beefed up, you know, physically and on screen as well. What do you think, how was her performance in this film? Do you think she added an awful lot? Did you see why she came back for this tour or sorry for this fourth film rather? Yeah, I think that she was, it was a great call to have her come back. Um, not just for this role, but just in general, because like the fans did want to see her back in and you knew that it had to have been something good for her to sign back on. Um, the way that she played the dorkiness of, you know, her Jane trying to be like the cool Thor, you know, like Thor is, even though he's also a little bit dorky, uh, but then she can also be mighty, pun intended. Um, so it was just a really nice balance between the two. And I have to disagree with Chris a little bit there. I do think that they gave us enough of her cancer storyline before reaching, you know, a point where you do have to take it quite seriously because she Jane didn't want to face it. Jane was trying to do everything but 
be like, oh, okay, I have cancer. And I think they, the way that they actually played with that was really interesting. It was almost from her point of view. So instead of the viewer just being like reminded every 10 seconds, this is someone who is dying of cancer, stage four cancer. It was actually done of, you know, you see her when she's weak because when she releases the hammer, of course, she goes back to her her former self kind of thing. Um, and you do see, you know, the effects of her illness on her. To the shock of nobody, I disagree with Chris and agree with Olivia entirely there. Before yeah. I get some scores, Olivia, where does this rank in the series and for the, the MCU as a whole for you? You know, so Ragnarok, I do think is probably my favourite. So I did have a lot to live up to. I actually really enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder. I have gone to see, I've seen it twice already. I have laughed every single time, even at bits that I didn't truly <laughs> catch the first time. I'm just like, oh, that's even funnier this time around. Like even like Russell Crowe, because I have Greek ancestors and family and it's just like he sounded like one of my cousins. So people that are dissing his accent, it's like I can tell you now the Greeks are disagreeing with you. I thought it was great. Um, So for me personally, I am giving it a nine out of ten. And the only reason it's not getting ten for me is purely based on the fact that for a film with a budget of Love and Thunder, there is still CGI issues in there. And I just can't justify even though for me, it's a, it's a full mark film. I really enjoyed it that much. I'm like, everyone go see it. I can't give it full marks when technically there are still things that Marvel aren't actually ironing out, which is annoying. Nine out of 10 from Olivia. Chris, I suspect it'll be slightly less from you. What is your score for Thor Love and Thunder? Yeah, just a little bit less because I, I did really enjoy this. And maybe I was thinking, you know, oh, it's like, you know, it's difficult second album syndrome. But, did it, you know, did I still listen to it? Did I still enjoy myself? You know, the experience I did. Um, and, I, and I would like to see more. Chris Hemsworth uh, as Thor. And I would like to see Taika Waititi maybe, you know, have his own trilogy. Um, I think it is a busy film. I think, you know, it's it's a little too self-aware at times. Uh, You know, look, the the self-awareness of Ragnarok, I know we keep comparing it, but it was just tone perfect. Everything worked in that film and it worked without us ever thinking that the people on screen were trying too hard. Sometimes this film, again, to repeat myself, it just tries a little bit too hard. There's an awful lot of Guns N' Roses in there. I mean, I wasn't complaining, but there's an awful lot of Guns N' Roses. But look, if it's between this... You know, this, this again, this thrilling cartoon swashbuckler, because that's what it is, uh, or Eternals, which was just the most self-important sluggish bore that Marvel has put out. I will take 10 more of Thor Love and Thunders. So I'm going to give it a solid eight. I will be in the middle there somewhere. I'll go 8.5. I thought this was the best He-Man film that I've ever seen that didn't have He-Man in it. <laughs> I was 100% on board with the with the emotional side of the storyline, the cameos, Russell Crowe. To me, it was, Chris, you kind of hinted that there were the Eternals. This was just fun. This was a rock concert on a roller yeah. coaster and I absolutely loved it. So that was our scores there for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, we're going to be looking at the next big film of the week, which is Minions Rise of Gru coming up next. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. If you've seen Thor Love and Thunder, head on to Twitter and let us know. Just include the hashtag We Love Movies. Now, also still to come on this week's show, we'll be taking a look at Marvel Studios Phase 5 plans. But now it's back to Andy, Chris and Olivia for their review of Minions, The Rise of Gru. But first, here's a clip. Good night. Good night. Yes, yes, yes. Good night. Good night! No. Ah. <laughs> Minions! There are a lot of other villains in the world! But I am going to be a super villain! This world is mine to 
the taking. Make me king as we move toward a new world order. This puny little child thinks he can be a villain. I am pretty despicable. A clip there from Minions The Rise of Gru, a film which has made $125 million in its opening weekend in the States. Joining me on the line now is Chris Wasser to review the film. Before you do, Chris, are you a fan of the Minions slash Despicable Me series? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, in the 12 years since Despicable Me first came into our lives, there's been probably, you know, far too much Minions. You know, like the, the idea of actually giving them their own film it's a little bit, you know, to, to actually, you know, look at a, uh, at a, at a, at a rival animated project. It's a little bit like, you know, the, the, the penguins from Madagascar. Those lads are hilarious when they're just coming in every now and then, or was it the, or even like the squirrel from ice age, all these guys are hilarious when they just have a little bit of screen time. When you give them their own film, you realize, Oh, the joke was never really, the, the joke was always quite thin, wasn't it? There's just, this is, this is very basic. So th- it's a little bit too much. I mean, and I, and I kind of, I think it's weird how they've infiltrated every corner of pop culture. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're, we, we just use them as memes to communicate now, you know, they're on t-shirts, they're on lunch boxes. Uh, I was just about know, to say, our, it's a shame there's no merch. It's, it's, it's so, it's, <laughs> it's so weird how just omnipresent they are. And yeah, I, I, but the Despicable Me films, they're, 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 grand they're kind of fluffy and harmless this one probably takes it a little too far i mean it's called minions the rise of Gru, but it might as well be despicable me 4 and it's a prequel to despicable me it's set in the 1970s a very sugary version of the of the 1970s supervillains are a thing and we have this 11 year old young fellow named Gru, uh voiced by steve carell who's giving us you know added squeak you know to convince us that he's a kid and he's you know he's a weird but lovable young fellow and he's in an awful hurry to take over the world and luckily for him his favorite gang of villains uh this you know this celebrity villain pack the vicious six they call themselves they're now down a member and they're holding interviews and auditions to find a replacement so grew he doesn't have any support from from you know from from his mom uh uh voiced again by julie andrews who's sort of wasted here actually but he has plenty of encouragement from his devoted minions who were told in this film which opposes you know the story from the last one that they just answered a call in a newspaper one day and arrived outside of out of side of his house and all of a sudden they were his minions they they support him he goes along to the, to the audition but he kind of makes a balls of it and the, the whole ende- the entire endeavor goes sideways because you know they the vicious six realize oh this 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 guy is just a kid so to prove that he really is something he actually steals this precious jewel from them and everybody including former members of the vicious six goes after him so we've got minions we've got an 11 year old group and we've got a MacGuffin. away we go looking through the cast list the vicious six has some Unbelievable names. Michelle Yeoh, the RZA from Rewtang, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, and Russell Brand. How do they stand up? In the, I, I know it's something you can't really say, how were their performances in it? But you know, that's some fairly heavy hitters and some previous former heavy hitters for a film like this, which, like you said, is what the fifth film in this in, installment. Yeah, they barely register, Andy. It's, it's, it's actually, it's... It's baffling. I mean, nobody ever bothered with these things for the plot. And the plot, actually, I think I made the plot sound a little bit better than it actually is here. But it's quite sketchy and it's so reckless. And, and you're right. There are some starry heavy hitters in there. You have Michelle Yeoh playing this, uh, you know, this awesome deadly kung fu master who teaches the minions uh, kung fu. You have Jean-Claude Van Damme as a man with a lobster claw for an arm. And then you've got the great Taraji P. Henson um, as the film's, you know, prime antagonist. I think her name is Belle Bottoms or, or something like that. It's Look, they, they don't make a, 
an effort to ensure that the audience will remember their names, let alone the characters. Because it seems at times that the filmmakers are just in a rush to kind of make the world's first feature length, you know, meme. And good luck to them. But as a film, it just doesn't work. The voice acting, like I, it was only, I, the, the names flash up at the beginning, but it was only afterwards putting the review together that, re, that I realized, oh yeah, that is Henson. That is Jean-Claude Van Damme. Why wasn't something done with them? And also the film kind of clocks in around the 88 minute mark. So I'm thinking, was there another half an hour here? Because it's very Saturday, you know, choppy Saturday morning cartoon sort of territory. Um, so it's just, it's this problem that, these these things, these banana-headed, you know, goggle-eyed things used to be funny when their gobbledygook was kind of, you know, every 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 20 minutes. They'd be five minutes every 20 minutes in the film. And we enjoyed the gibberish and we enjoyed the visual gags. If you just keep, you know, like showing them every every minute of this 90-minute film, the, the gobbledygook just starts to grace. And, and it's a shame, too, that there are no real jokes here. I mean, the ideas are strong enough. You know, let's explore this supervillain when he's a kid, when he's first meeting his minions. Let's explore the idea of, you know, him being this uh, outcast in his classroom. When, you know, there's this, there's this lovely scene where, you know, Gru is telling all of his classmates that he wants to be the world's, super, you know, he wants to be the world's biggest supervillain when they all want to be firefighters or police officers or whatever it is. Explore that. Go down that route. Show us Gru in school. Unfortunately, the guys at Illumination, they're not Pixar. They have good ideas, but the follow through is often sloppy. So I think it needs better jokes. It needed a stronger story. It needed a, a more, you know, it, it has a good voice cast. I just think a little bit more enthusiasm should have gone into the performances. The joke's not funny anymore, Andy. Before I get scores, I'll be, again, just to say that the money these things make, like this has made $4 billion already, the, the series of films, which are more than the Craig Bonds, the Mission Impossibles, any of the kind of single outlet Marvel movies. You put them together, this tops them all. Before I get scores, something that kind of caught my attention, I was going to see uh, Thor, and I noticed these kind of gang of kids going in wearing suits, thought nothing of it, thought it was you know, young Fine Gael meeting or something. Turns out this is actually a massive TikTok trend called the Gentle Minions. Chris, I think we have no idea what's going on, and if only we clue. had, I don't know, the editor of Geek Ireland on the line, say, to describe what in the name of God is the Gentle Minions trend. Oh, well, good thing I'm here, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, it basically started off with these group of kids just decided that they wanted to dress up as Gru to go and see the film. And it started off on like through TikTok. Of course, they did like a, a video of like they, they went to the premiere and they were like cheering to the illumination screen when it came on. And there was even kids who were thanking people for attending in the mannerisms of Gru as well. So it just took the internet by storm. So now kids everywhere want to go do it. Uh, it has been like humorous to a certain extent, but it's also been really enraging for other cinema goers because some groups of kids, unfortunately, you know, as with all fun things, some people just take it a little bit too far. One chap got kicked out of a cinema in the States because he threw a banana at the screen. (laughs) 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 Which, yes, very hilarious. But, you know, if it damaged that screen, that would have cost the cinema like a lot of money to replace. So, you know, like Hilarious to everybody else, but could have been very costly (laughs) overall. Um, And then a bunch of cinemas in the UK have actually started banning 
kids who were showing up in their suits to go see the film because one uh, cinema actually had to refund £1,300 to patrons who were giving out about kids just being a bit too raucous and enjoying themselves a bit too much during the screening. So it's definitely been a double-edged sword. So for some people, it's gas crack. For other people, it's a hindrance to their enjoyment of the film. So yeah, as with all good trends, they do must come to an end. And I'd say this one is about to to air out. But what's even funnier is, is that it wasn't even called Gentle Minions in the beginning. The funniest part of it is, is that Universal were the ones themselves to come up with that hashtag once the trend started taking off on TikTok. So they thought it was a great idea and started promoting it. And that's one of the reasons why it hit a global scale, whereas it had just been in the States and then it went everywhere. So who knows, maybe Universal will try and keep it alive by, I don't know, bribing cinemas? I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a funny, funny week, shall we say. Yeah, 500 million viewers on that hashtag. And you touched on there, Olivia, uh, Universal, to me, have handled this really well. They haven't tried to get involved. The only thing they've done is they had the, the little video with the, the minion looking out, watching everybody coming in. And that's what started the gentle minions tag. And then they sent out a tweet saying, we see you and we love you. Enjoy the film. We're out. Somebody who maybe didn't handle it as well is Sony, who had their own you know, viral moment with Morbius. How did they handle that by comparison to Universal? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to try and stop myself from laughing when I just think back at this terrible idea of Sony's. Um, so, yes, people had been saying, you know, wanting to go see Morbius again and Morbius 2 and all the memes just making fun of it. My favorite being it's like, oh, um, I left two Morbius tickets on my seat of the, my car and it got broken into and someone left another two. Like those were the <laughs> levels of jokes that were going around about Morbius. And uh, yeah, so Sony, you know, with all the buzz, they thought it'd be a great idea to um, yeah, full on put Morbius back into the cinema and it made only $80,000 um, I can't remember if it was just in one day, like the Saturday, or whether it was over the course of the weekend, which, as we know, is pittance. Like, that is nothing. That isn't even worth renting the, all the screens that they put it back into. They probably lost money on that bet. And it's now taken a whole new level because um, there was like the hashtag, it's uh, Mormon time, which is actually from Power Rangers. <laughs> um, people saying, it's like, oh, we want the sequel to be called. It's Morbin time and all this type of stuff. And Jared Leto, you know, one of our <clears throat> favorite actors, he then had a, a video of him reading the script and the script is called Morbius 2, it's Morbin time. And then the joke died. <laughs> It's now kind of getting another lease of life, though, because people are now sending more tweets and jokes to to Sony to be like, oh, yeah, sorry, lads. Uh, Could you put it back in cinemas again? We were away that weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if they do it because I just feel like Sony haven't got a clue what they're doing. I, I I'm a hundred percent on board on this. My favorite part of this was people making up scenes. I actually got a text from a friend of mine saying, "Is, is Blade and Morbius?" And I was like, "No." I, go, I saw a thing on Twitter. It was like my favorite part of the film was when Morbius, Dracula, and Blade teamed up and said, "It's Morbin time to fight the bad guy," <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like a far better film. Before we do have a film to review, Minions. Chris, what's the score you give for Minions: The Rise of Gru? Well, I'm just um, sad, Andy, that I wasn't the one that threw a banana uh, at, the, <laughs> at, the, at the screen. I think if you want to dress up in a suit and go watch Minions with your mates, and if you want to, you know, have a the, the time of your life while watching this film, you go for it. You do what you have to do. You do whatever you want because you will be making more of an effort than the filmmakers did here. I just think it is 
shocking that so many talented people have come together to create something as half arse as, as what was on the screen. Um, I think, look, there is something more that you could do with the minions. You could like, you know, create like a series of, of shorts, you know, these guys could still be funny. I think again, there's nice ideas here. And, you know, I know I'm going on a bit too much, but there one, one idea that I quite liked was this, uh, uh, to, to, to have the opening credits of a minion film in the style of a bond picture, but even halfway through that, excellent idea it just sort of gives up and starts to film and i was like wait hold on we were in what 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 what's going on there and that that setup is indicative of, of everything that follows that you know it just seems as though kyle balder the director and everyone else involved they're just they're half assing it so is it funny no i've laughed harder after you know stepping on the business end of a plug is it is it is it you know cute and warm and and and, and everything else that you know a, a family-friendly animation should be no it's just annoying so whatever it takes for you to enjoy this film if it involves dressing up as a minion if it involves dressing up as a banana go for it because anything that imp- improves the entertainment value here i'm all behind it's two out of ten for minions two out of ten Oof, not great at all we love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Timing score from Chris. Next week we'll make sure he has his funny bone reinserted. How he can give Minions 2 out of 10. Coming up after the break though, Andy and the gang are taking a look at Marvel Studios' Phase 5 plans. We're back shortly. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Welcome back to We Love Movies on Spin. I'm Gordon Hayden. Thor Love and Thunder is the big film out in cinemas. And this week... Andy McCarroll takes the helm as himself, Olivia and Chris delve into Marvel Studios' Phase 5 plans. What can we expect from Marvel's head honcho Kevin Feige? And are the Marvel movies in desperate need of some course correction? Let's find out what Andy, Chris and Olivia think. I love being with people. It's the most incredible thing in the world. What are you doing? Oh, this is nice. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change, we're all part of one big family. With Thor Love and Thunder landing in the middle of phase four of cinemas this week, we're going to be taking a look at the next phase of the MCU, where we've been, where we're going, and what could possibly be next. Joining me on the line is critic Chris Wasser and the editor of Geek Ireland, Olivia Fahey. For me, I feel like the MCU has lost a lot of momentum because it doesn't have something like you know Thanos or the Infinity Saga as the, the overarching story. Olivia, has that been your experience? You're the editor of one of the, the biggest movie geek sites that we have. Are people still as interested in Marvel movies as they used to be? For sure they are. Like anything that goes up, that's something like a fan theory or, um, for example, the mid-credit scene from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, like our explainer for that did very well. So there is still a massive appetite for it. But I do agree that because... Thanos was kind of established very early on. He was hinted at and he was always kind of like the big bad in the shadows. He was always sort of there, even when he wasn't there, if that makes any sense. Whereas the equivalent that we have for phase four and potentially now phase five, because, you know, they, he's, this, this character is likely going to feature heavily there as well, um, Kang the Conqueror. He's actually only made one appearance now. Um, And that, of course, wasn't even in one of the films. That was 
oh, spoiler alert for people that are listening and haven't caught up yet, uh, that was in the end of Loki. So in that regard, people have been waiting and kind of wondering as to what's what's kind of going on. Kevin Feige is saying that we'll find out soon enough, um, a.k.a. you know they've booked Hall H for San Diego Comic-Con, so there's bound to be a load of announcements coming from there. And they're going to be hinting at, at what's to come in that sense. But I do believe that Kang is a very worthy successor for that overarching villain for the MCU. Um, it's just unfortunate that like his film, he's supposed to be in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp as well. And that was supposed to come out this year. And the, all of the other films were supposed to have already come out. And there was going to be like this big build up, you know, a la like uh, Thanos appearing in Guardians of the Galaxy or in the post credit scene for Avengers. So he was actually supposed to have a bit more going on, I think. And then, you know, the pandemic happened. So they had to redo things. So it has been a long wait, but Kang is is an icon, and I think that's it is going to be worth it in the end. But I do completely understand where, where people are coming from. I'm also curious to know if Mephisto is ever going to show up because let's face it, everything that went down in WandaVision was pointing towards Mephisto showing up and then he didn't. And that was really annoying. Yeah, there were hints of that. If we were looking at like murals in the background, is that him? Is that not? Chris, as someone who maybe hasn't got you know, the geek credentials of Olivia and I, we are 29 movies into the MCU, seven TV shows. Have you suffered from Marvel fatigue so far or do you still have any interest in these films anymore? Oh, I do. You know, I like there, you know, a spot of fatigue, I suppose, uh, uh, kicked in probably, probably before we even got to 10 films. Uh, but I think, I think I've seen most of, there's probably maybe one or two in the 29 films that I've missed out on. And then I'm a little bit sketchy on the TV shows, but there is some, still some, you know, gold to be mined there. And whenever, you know, if, if, if the lads behind the Spider-Man films decide to do a fourth one, I'm all in the Spider-Man films have just been joyous. They've, uh, they, I, I, I love everything that they've done there. And, and, you know, I think uh, the last Spider-Man film showed us, what you can do when you bring back and what you should do when you bring back beloved characters, you know, from, from, from 10, 20 years ago, you know, you don't just throw glorified reckless cameos at audiences, you know, you actually build a story, you give these actors and these characters something to do, you know, you don't do a Jurassic world dominion on it. Um, and so if, if it involves Spider-Man, if it involves Thor, if they wanted to do something with Captain America, I know there's going to be a fourth Captain America uh, with the, with the, with the, with the Falcon taking over. Yeah bring it on it's when they start taking themselves too seriously and also start showing us uh clearly that they haven't got a plan that that's when it becomes just another superhero franchise like what sony is trying to do like what you know dc have been struggling to do because i don't think kevin feige has said you know when they get to hall h that they are going to say you know here's the plan with phase four here's the plan with phase five and he also said something along the lines of I can see where we're going with this. And I think audiences won't be surprised, you know, that, that they'll, they'll be able to see too. They'll be able to kind of, you know, piece everything together from what they've seen from, you know, from Eternal, from Doctor Strange, from Spider-Man, from Thor, that we're going somewhere. I'm calling BS on this. There, there is nothing in these films of that, that we've seen over the last two or three years that suggests that 
a big bad has been watching over something, you know, or that they're all going to, they're not working towards anything. They've kind of been a little bit adrift. They've all been very, you know, they're not tied together by any, you know, major, uh, uh, you know, end credit sequences. They're not tied together by, you know, by, you know, a villain like Thanos looking over them. Maybe they have something cooked up for phase five, but from what I can see, it's just like, oh, just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure everything out later. Just for now, just keep knocking out superhero films and, and sure later, on we can suggest that they were all tied together like what DC have been doing so I don't basically I'm, I'm, I've gone off on one but I don't think there is what, what they're missing out on at the minute is a grand plan um, so they need that and they also need to avoid doing the Eternals thing I know I've, I know I've already put the boot in but my god Eternals was just do you know what I found hilarious about the Eternals that afterwards Chloe Zhao came out and suggested that the reason that critics were so divided and audiences too on Eternals was because we we're all having a bit of an existential crisis because the world was in the you know the grasp of an existential crisis with, with with COVID, that is just. Did we are, are we really going to you know take seriously the idea that the the reason Eternals was poorly received was because there was a pandemic? Not at all. It's because that film hadn't a clue what it was at. It spends most of its two and a half hours having the characters talk to each other about all the things that they're going to do, and when they actually do something, I was so confused as to what the plan was. And, and when are we going to address the fact we, there's, there's been a couple of Marvel films since the release of Eternals. Are we not going to talk about the fact that there's a giant bleeding robot sticking out of the globe? Like, like what's, when are we going to get to that? So basically, that's my way of saying, I don't think there's any plan here. And that's a problem. Speaking of giant robots sticking out of the globe, um, I thought Love and Thunder, there may have been a hint towards Galactus. We had, of course, mm-hmm. John Krasinski as uh, Mr. Fantastic in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Kevin Feige's kind of him and Han saying that he doesn't know if he will be playing him in the Fantastic Four film. This, we've kind of dropped hints about Mephesto and things like this. But for me, the Fantastic Four has the best untapped comics. The Fantastic Four comics are absolutely, for me, the best things Marvel have done. And some of the things that we haven't seen so far, Doctor Doom, Galactus. Do you think that's where we could potentially be going, Olivia? Yeah, I think the Fantastic Four has been so buzzed about for so long. And then finally introducing um, Reed Richards into the MCU. If, like, Yes, it was with John Krasinski, which I think if they don't keep him in, I'd be so disappointed now, especially because I don't want that to be the way our fan casting ended, shall we say? Like, it was literally just like, here you go, and now we take it away from you again. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> it's it, they're definitely going more into the space, shall we say, um, than they are keeping it on Earth. I think there is bits in Eternals that's going to um, play out down the line. As you were saying, Andy, there was a bit of a hint to the Celestials in uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, um, it's it's still a bit up in the air, and especially with like there has been so much talk of Doctor Doom. Thank you, uh, Howard Stern, <laughs> as of late. So who knows? Maybe it could be Doctor Doom, Kang, and Mephisto, all of them sort of thrown into one, and then eventually one of them will just be the last one standing, or something like that. I'm 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 not really sure, um, but yeah, it definitely seems like they are turning their attention skyward. Um, whether or not that that actually is going to be the case we'll we'll find out in a couple of weeks time but uh yeah that's kind of my my thinking 
I think you might have I touched like, on something the there when you that. said there was last man standing as well. Do you think maybe it could be you know, Secret Wars where you have this, you know, all the heroes and villains called to one planet for one essential, but feels like Mortal Kombat in the MCU. Secret Invasion, which is coming to Disney Plus, well, is it later this year or early next year? I think that's actually probably going to hold the biggest key because if they cover certain aspects that I think they're going to cover, then yes, where they're going to, to Secret Wars. Um, the the Krull, Krill, Krull, Krull, um, they're going to be playing a big role in that series. And then if it plays out in the way that a lot of the rumors and fan theories are saying it's going to play out, then Secret Wars is the the end goal. Uh, ideally, it'll be the Russos ho- like um, uh, directing that as well. If not, um, I wouldn't be too mad if John Watts took the helm on that either. Um, but it, it all is going to come down to that series, I think. That's going to be the biggest, the biggest indicator as to where this is going. We're all part of one universe. Wakanda forever! That moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. You are very welcome back to We Love Movies. We're discussing Marvel Phase 4. In part one, we're discussing some hypotheticals of where Marvel could be going. Chris, the ones that we do know were confirmed. The next one coming up is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Obviously, the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman having to deal with the recasting. There's been a lot of behind-the-scenes rumors as well of trouble production on that. Mm-hmm. Where do you think we can go from here? Because it's, it's Black Panther, then we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians 3, and the Marvels. They're not exactly the heavy hitters of the MCU. Do you feel like this is kind of a case of, much like DC, let's get this phase over and then build something else? Or do you think they could, you know, steer us in a different direction here and deliver something, you know, that will blow our minds like uh, like Endgame or Infinity War did? I don't quite know. Um, I mean, uh, I just to touch on something that Olivia mentioned there about, you know, uh, uh, if if there is going to be, you know, a Fantastic Four film and if we are going to see John Krasinski in this, I don't think I want to see John Krasinski in the Fantastic Four film because I quite enjoyed the fact that here he is in Doctor Strange. Now look what we do with him after five minutes. It was almost as though, you know, it wasn't Sam Raimi doing it. It was definitely Kevin Feige. It was almost Feige saying, you don't run this party. We do, you know, and and this is this is what we'll do. Like if you kind of pressure us too much, and I think even Taika Waititi was talking about some of the things that he had planned to put into Thor: Love and Thunder, and then decided against it because he realized that it was basically just you know giving fans what they were begging for, and that's not the way stories should be told. So I, uh, then, then just to get back to the idea of what, of what of what Marvel is going to do next, I'm not really sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if, say, in let's say in 20 years' time, we're still doing this podcast and people still love us. And if we're talking about what happened with the MCU and where it all started to go wrong, I think we could potentially be looking at the next five years of when Marvel just kept putting out superhero films and they kept all nearly making a billion, making a billion. Everyone was was mad about them. And then someday we realized, well, that's enough. That's enough of that. Uh, you know, there's no real heavy hitters anymore. Anytime, uh, you know, a star director tries to come in, 
they don't really do what you know what they can do because you know it doesn't matter if you're Taika Waititi. Well, Taika Waititi is probably an exception. Sam Raimi, Chloe Zhao, you're coming in, people love you. You're not going to get a Sam Raimi or a Chloe Zhao film. You're going to get a, a, a Marvel version of their film. So bringing in star directors doesn't always work. I'm I'm struggling to think of new stars that could actually you know work well in the MCU. Do you bring back characters that have died? I don't really know. If kind of it is starting to feel as though they've done everything and they can you can say that there's still so much more to do they can bring in their their x-men they can bring in fantastic four they can bring in blade those things have already been done marvel remember started off by doing things that no one had ever done no one ever thought that a captain america film series work as well as they did nobody had ever seen iron man on screen before nobody had ever nobody would dream of putting together a tour series it would be such a shame if Marvel over the next 10 years just became known for doing things that other studios have done before. So I don't know what's next. You touched on something there, which I think is a good point is that the reason I enjoyed these so much initially was it was building to something. You know, we had Iron Man and then you have a little taste of the next thing for Thor, but you could kind of watch them all by themselves. I used to like the, the Arrow TV show and then the Flash. And then yeah. it got to the point where I need to watch the Arrow, I need to watch Flash, I need to watch Legends tomorrow, I need to watch the 15 other spin out and that's, I'm, I'm out. Olivia, do you think that obviously we've had you know the 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 TV shows like WandaVision, Falcon the Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye, Moon Knight? Honestly, all have been pretty much underwhelming in their own way, but kind of essential to watch the films. Do you think this is where people will start falling off or like, oh, I'm not watching eight episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier just because I need to watch the next Captain America then? Yeah, for sure. And there's already been a bit of that oversaturation, uh, fatigue kind of creeping in um, a little bit. Um, you touched on it there as well. I also used to watch all of the CW shows um, in the DC universe and I missed like two weeks or so. I'd gone on holidays and when I came back, I was like, I am actually so far behind now. I'm just going to wait until they're all done and then I'll watch them all through. Never happened. So it, it is definitely in that sense of you feel like if you miss one or two, then you're just, you're lost. You're already too far behind. My sister, I've been trying to get her on the, the Marvel train for quite some time and no. I can't. She's just like, there's just too much I don't understand, which is fair. So I would love for it to have a plan in place so you can be like, look, this is the essential things of everything you need to know. Like, maybe they should just do it. Here's what they do they release a book, give everybody all the background information for everything that went down during the pandemic that's important for them to know for the MCU moving forward from here on in. And then people can just be like, cool, I've read that off we go back into the movies and that might help but at the same time people be like mm, reading really i just want to watch tv and <laughs> watch movies you touch so on that knows? i think they should have what they used to have at the comic before the marvel films like before you read like one of the the, the latest issue of the comic it would have like two pages you know previously on spider-man or previously yeah. on mm-hmm. Thor, just to kind of catch up so you go all right grand yeah i've got the context there and you have said like things are falling between the cracks. Like something I'm really enjoying at the moment is Miss Marvel, which I, I wasn't expecting. I think it's, it's like the seventh show that they've released and released it on the same day as Obi-Wan Kenobi being completely buried. But they're doing something different and it's really good. And no one is watching it because, like I said, it's the seventh series and you have Obi-Wan out on the same day. So it's, it's going to get buried twice. And then I feel like they're going to take the wrong message from that. It's like, oh, well, we tried something new and people didn't like it. It's like, no, you, you didn't let people discover it. Before I let you go, two things I want to get from both of you. One, what has been your favorite movie in the MCU so far? And two, who are you most excited to see in the future? Chris, I'll start with you. I think it might have to be Spider-Man No Way Home because I just 
think they did what again going back to this idea that you're bringing back characters but you're not just saying oh look this is what you wanted we'll just have them stand around and we'll just have them point at each other yes they did do the silly spider-man spider-man pointing at each other but they also crafted real you know characters there they gave them something you know they, they, there was a decent plus there was so much fun to be had with it It was emotional it was moving it was fantastic to look at i loved watching that film i think it's the only marvel film that i've actually watched twice in a cinema and i would watch it a third time um i i, th- I think a close second would be thor ragnarok because that is not just a, a a funny superhero film it's just a fun it's just a super comedy um and i think just watching everyone uh watching that all come together so effortlessly i mean i say effortlessly but an awful lot of work went into it uh it was just it was a joy so it's ragnarok or spider-man no way home before i get what you're most excited about and because i'm a negative nancy what has been your least enjoyable of the marvel movies and i, I suspect it's eternals but it's, you might shock me here yeah, it probably would be Eternals, but I'm, um, you know, maybe Age of Ultron as well, because there, there was this, uh, you know, if if a plan was in place, and and I think it was that, you know, we were going towards this Infinity War to Marcus and also kind of frame the story. And this is a, this is Joss Whedon uh, here kind of doing this. But at the same time, I think Whedon was kind of, wasn't he being told that, no, wait, hold on, you actually, we're, we're, we're giving you, we're saying that we're giving you free reign, but you need to be taking us somewhere else with this thing. There was too many cooks in the kitchen there. And there was this idea that we're going to frame this as the end of the Avengers. But at the same time, this is definitely not the end of the Avengers. And it's basically just like this week on Avengers, they'll come up against Ultron, but Ultron can be taken down quite easily you know with just a flick of you know uh, Thor's finger so it 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 just seemed very throwaway i remember watching it and thinking okay is that it this is this is the follow up to the biggest superhero film of all time oh, okay we, well you better have something magical up your sleeve and they did with infinity war endgame i just think I, I sometimes forget that that film actually exists so eternals which was just insufferable or age of ultron which was just largely forgettable which, to be fair, if history has taught us anything, it's just Whedon should not be given free reign. Olivia, no. what would your favourite in the MCU be so far? Well, because I'm me, um, I actually have a top three for you. So if you boys are ready, in third place, I would have Avengers Endgame. I think that it being the culmination of how many years, it's like a decade worth of films and everything, I thought they did execute it really well. And it still had a few twists and turns, a few like jump out of your seat and applaud moments, especially, you know, Captain America wielding Mjolnir. Um, So for me, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I thought it was a great cherry on top of a decade worth of films. Uh, Second would be Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Um, I know it was one that was a while ago, but it still just stands out as one of my favourite favorite films and considering you could argue that uh, the first avenger was probably the weakest of the phase one films one of the weakest anyways um and then for them to come back with the winter soldier helmed by the russos um i believe wasn't it yes Yes. maybe i forget yes and um i i just thought that that was just a great kind of like let's get this back to the beginning and you know our, captain america then went on and had civil war as well so you know he ended up having a great upward trajectory from that point on um number one look are you surprised it's thor ragnarok it <laughs> is just brilliant like it is i think it's one of the few things that all three of us can agree on is that ragnarok is just one of the best made films not just of a marvel film it's just a brilliantly made film and oh how brilliant was Kate blanchett as hella as well like icon mm-hmm. 
I also enjoyed when we left that film, you said I look very much like Chris Hemsworth in that. So before I get you to go, Olivia, what was your... <laughs> yep, no need to represent that at all. I can't what believe you guys saw Ragnarok. <laughs> I can't believe you watched Ragnarok while you were drunk, Olivia. That's the only excuse for that. Like, <laughs> um, My least favourite... Oh, do you know what? It's a coin flip between um, Iron Man 2 and 3. They just didn't live up to the, the initial outing at all. I think... Jeez, oh, I think think two for me probably does get the the wooden spoon in that sense purely because like I'm a big Formula One fan as well and to make uh, like Monaco I'm seen in Monaco one of the most iconic like locations for a Formula One Grand Prix and even that couldn't make that film interesting so for me I was like no I've checked out now this isn't working so oh, actually, yeah I think yeah, Iron Man 2 you're absolutely right yeah and geez, it even had Elon Musk in it yeah and he scratched what I said Iron Man 2 <laughs> now no, what we've learned here is that Olivia is far more preferred and professional than uh, that made an absolute hames that which has ruined that completely <laughs> I think it does show that I am the most professional of all of you yeah. <laughs> oh and on that bombshell Chris Wasser Olivia Fahey thank you so much for that I ruined my insult Olivia has won the podcast and won the show for this week so join us Woo. next week we love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. A big thanks to Andy McCarroll for presenting duties on this week's show. We're all back again next week for your weekly film fix or reviews and news. We'll chat to you on the next We Love Movies.